It is a great honor. Uh, I'm going to make myself at home as I typically do based on your love and your permission. I appreciate that. Uh, but I'm believing God to do something deep in our hearts and spirits this morning as we kick off and as we commence on this mission Sunday. So I have one verse of scripture for us in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Paul the writer simply says, Now unto him that is able... To do exceeding abundantly above all that you and I, we, ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. And I want to minister with God's help and with God's grace. I want to minister to us this morning on the simple word daring. Daring. I want you to say that with me if you would as you're seated. Say daring. Daring in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I went and did something real silly. And besides wearing a tie, Brother Mike. And breaking all kinds of buttons and all that good stuff. I did something very silly. I tried to take advantage of the hotel that you are so gracious to put us in to get a little exercise in and uh, I'm just able uh, to barely move my arms and hold this microphone. I was not (laughs) anticipating being that out of shape, praise God, but uh, I am I'm doing better and I'm glad to be here. Daring, daring. There they sat, 11 grown men, strong men, seasoned men, but men that were now shut behind closed doors and they had become paralyzed by fear. It was a post-resurrection paralysis that took hold on their lives. Panic and anxiety had locked them down like many of us can easily relate to over the course of this last year. Their once reckless faith, let's not Forget that these were men that walked on water. These were men that survived storms. These were men that were on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Men, the sons of thunder that had such boldness about them, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and believed that they can do it. But now they're drowning in doubt. As Jesus permeates and comes through the walls of their abode and he suddenly is standing there in their midst and he asks them two questions. He said, why are you troubled? And then he said, why do thoughts or doubts arise in your hearts. And the truth was this, as is the case with many of us in our world today, these men were now terrified. They were terrified because everything that they had invested in and imagined for their future has just imploded. Much like you and I, when we look at our nation and we look at our world, it seems that everything that has been a staple in the fabric and the very fiber of this United States of America and our beliefs and our precepts and all of the foundational building blocks, it seems as though little by little it is being dismantled on a daily basis. And their hearts, they were sick. 
Because that's what happens when hope is deferred. And they had placed all their hope in this man and in this moment in time. And now their newfound disciple dreams were shattered. They all placed their hope and everything that they had put it in was now dashed to pieces. Plans were thwarted. Everything was over. It was all said and done. And now they were scared. And you have to understand with me and you and I can relate, I believe, that these were not headlines from a faraway land. Much of what we have seen and we have read over the course of the last year, we have seen many Many tragic sights and we have lived through much in the last 12 months but it's one thing to watch it on the news and it's one thing to hear about what is going on in another city and it is a different story altogether for it to hit your street and my street your city and my city you see crucifixion was real on their street they were not far removed from the reality of this routine Roman torture these 11 men were eyewitnesses whose best bet of survival at this particular moment in time was to lay low and to seclude themselves and so there they were the 11 disciples one already missing They were hiding in the security of their safe house. They had gone back to the upper room. They had gone back to that place of comfort and familiarity in past moments with their Christ. I imagine for a moment that they reorganized around that table and perhaps they recalled moments with Jesus and conversations and where it was that he took that towel and bent over and washed their feet and where it was in the corner of the room where John the Beloved put his ear upon the breast of his Savior to catch the heartbeat. But you see, there was a problem with these men that were now cowering in a corner. They had come too far, as we sang about a few moments ago, to turn back now. My dear brothers and sisters, when we truly look at the sum total of our spiritual encounters and experiences, up to this point in our lives I believe that you will concur with the fact that we have come too far to turn back now I don't know what will come in the days ahead but I'm not letting go of Jesus he's brought me too far he's walked with me through the fire he's led me through the flood I'm telling you right now I'm not letting go of my Jesus He's been too good to me. He's healed my body. He's set me free. And let me tell you, that kind of stuff, it preaches real good until you got to live it. It preaches real good until they come in and say, uh, Mr. Trenacosta, we're going to do open heart surgery. And sir, you cannot leave until it's done. And you're backed into a corner and there's nothing left to do but to find out what you're made of and what kind of faith you really got a hold of and to really discover if you can trust him and if the stripes that he bore on his back can really produce a healing in your body I'm telling you when you live through some things like you and I have lived through with Jesus you can't go back there's no one and nowhere else to go to 
You see, the promise of the Father awaited them. The potential of permanent power from on high was pending and looming in the midst of the atmosphere. Their spiritual palate had already been aroused and their taste buds were already tantalized because they had partaken of that heavenly gift at least momentarily. You see, it was God in the flesh that chose them. It was God in the flesh that served up an appetizer portion of dominion and authority and sent them to preach the gospel to the poor, to cure the lepers and cleanse them, to take dominion over all manner of sickness and disease, to cast out devils, to anoint the sick, to raise the dead. These men didn't just read about it, they demonstrated it, and it was something Something that forever changed their life. They would never be able to erase the glimpse of glory and the experience and the exhilaration therewith in operating themselves in supernatural signs and power. And we must understand today that we have come too far to allow our Christianity to be confined by the things that are going on in this world. And that's exactly what was taking place. The future of Christianity was confined in a spiritual enclave where they could have so easily built memorials to experiences in days past. Our world right now, my brothers and my sisters and my fellow American, our world, we are now living in the generation that we, 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 we may have never before in this generation ever lived where we are and been plagued by fear all around us. Perhaps not since the Holocaust, which we now celebrate an 80 year anniversary of that tragic event. Never before since then, perhaps, has there been such a threat posed against human life. This past week is the one year anniversary. We mirror one another as Brother Hoffman said, even in the way that we are doing church today and the way things unfolded very much mirroring each other in terms of our church experience. But it's been one year already. I cannot believe it. And the truth is over the course of this year, many of us in many areas of our lives, we've been paralyzed by fear. And everywhere you look, we understand the reality of death more so than we've ever understood it. And I say not these next few comments lightly, but rather to speak to us in a way that would bring understanding. Because when you look at statistics on a screen, or you read about numbers in a newspaper, it's very different from those who have suffered grossly and tragically, and it is an absolute tragedy for sure. But everywhere you and I look, there is a sounding of an alarm for safety. Traveling here to Michigan earlier this week, we had not traveled since January of 2020. Everywhere you look, signs blaring at you for your safety. Every word being told and spoken for your safety. We got on an airplane where they told us that even if you've been vaccinated, you still must wear the mask and you must do so at the threat of being fined, kicked off the plane. You must do this. And we hear the 
alarm in epic, epic proportions for safety. We can't walk six feet without being reminded we've got to stay apart. And the enemy knows, the enemy does know that we are better together. And we are now obsessed with soap and extreme sanitary measures. And I am not saying that we should not be cautious. But what I am saying is this. They cannot look you and I in the eye and tell us of a certainty if any of this is going to truly save us. What was Operation Warp Speed has now become Operation Barbed Wire. Whereas the superpower in terms of our nation is now surrounded and they tell us not for a momentary form of protection but now a permanent military presence can be expected. And everywhere you look there are hints of fear. We are now having to make sure that we self-censor and we self-isolate and confine and we are now living under the threat of being silenced and it puts fear in our hearts and fear in this next generation and we've got to be so careful because I stand here flat-footed to remind you and me as children of God that our Heavenly Father has not given us a spirit of fear but of power of love and of a sound mind and a sound mind we need a sound mind and that's exactly what Jesus was trying to remind them of when he permeated or came through those walls and in the gospel of Mark we see the setting he was trying to put them back in a place of a sound mind. When he comes into the upper room in Mark 16, the first thing he does is rebuke them for their hiding out. He rebukes them, he said, for their unbelief and the hardness that had so soon taken place in their hearts. And as peace walked into the room, he was trying to permeate not just the walls of the building. That was the easy part. It was the permeating of their hardened hearts that was the difficult mission at hand. And as I look at the different gospel writers, I see that in John, after the initial intrusion into that upper room and the provoking of Jesus, in John, the Bible tells us that eight days later, eight days later, after he walks through the walls and prods them to go, they're still shut behind the closed doors. They were stuck. But when Jesus walked in, he said these words. The first thing he said was, peace be unto you. You see, it's peace that enables you and I to have a shift of perspective. Jesus needed these disciples in whom he had vested everything and he had banked on them for the birth of the future church. He needed them to get a shift of perspective, something the enemy did not want to take place. He would much rather leave you and I in a state of confusion and chaos and in the spirit of fear where we can be manipulated and tormented rather than loved and comforted. And so peace was a attempting to shift their perspective. And the Prince of Peace was trying to paralyze the very fear that was paralyzing them and push them out from their safe house. He said, go. Go and wait for the power that was coming from on high. Go 
into your world. Come out from this, from this little hiding spot. Go into the world. Go and be my witnesses. Go and work the works of God. Go, because what they had not fully understand at this moment uh, was that Jesus had not called them to be cowardly Christians. He only had a window of three and one half years uh, to take these hand-picked men and to pour into them and to help them to understand his mission and his purpose and what was being passed on to them. But it was not to simply produce safe saints. No, no, no. Our Savior came and he died on a cross to give birth to bold, daring disciples that would take the good news of the gospel and carry it into all the world. He was looking for men and women that would be bold and courageous. Those that would be fearless in the face of persecution that would run with his gospel everywhere that they could possibly go, much like that previous cloud of witnesses had done. That cloud of witnesses, I believe they're watching still today in our generation, comprised of daring men and women that were called on by God to accomplish feats of faith to work the mighty works of miracles of God to build arcs and to fight battles and be victorious to face lions to leave everything behind to possess foreign lands and subdue kingdoms and to pray ridiculous prayers in the face of ridicule, jealousy and resentment. Men and women of God that would set their face to seek him and be faithful much like David of old in the small things all the while no one is watching and seemingly no one cares about the battles fought with lions and bears but giving birth to believers in that great cloud of witness who in essence accepted the challenge of God set forth in their lives who in the face of fear contradiction of common sense and against all odds, God dared these men and women to have blind faith and obedience and to participate in fulfilling his purposes, only that it might result in them living lives so much larger, so much fuller, and more exciting than they could have ever hoped for without the dare. It was Jesus who walked by and said, in essence, Peter, I dare you, I dare you, Peter, to abandon the business that you've always dreamed of. I dare you, Peter, to do this in spite of no advance notice, no prior planning, no succession plan in place, at the request of a complete stranger who summed up his entire business proposal in three simple words, come follow me. There were no details given, no expectations set, no guarantees to lay hold on, only to become, Peter, a fisher of men, but yet to be invited to preach the very first sermon in the New Testament and to be the only man called and chosen to possess the keys of the kingdom of God that would unlock the doors of revival, that would sweep the world over and become the gospel messenger to God's very own chosen people, the Jews.
He was finally Jesus in the Gospels. He came once. He came eight days later. But it was still not enough. And finally, finally he is able to persuade them to accept his dare. Provoking them to demonstrate their courage. That they might go and fulfill all that they had been called to do in the future. And we look and see that even as a result of that second visitation. When they finally break loose of that safe house. What does Peter do? Peter, bold Peter, impetuous Peter, he backslides and he goes back to fishing. He goes back to fishing. And yet there's persistent Jesus for impetuous Peter saying, look, listen to me, Peter. I've got too much invested in you. I've done too much already for you. I love you. I've called you. I've chosen you. Peter, I love you too much to leave you alone. Too much to leave you in your comfort zone. Peter, get up and go. And finally they did. Jesus, with a crowbar, provoking them and moving them out of their place of hiding. And now what we see in the scripture is so incredible. It's these once cowering children of God that were now transformed yet again into bold believers. They were now the the daring disciples of Jesus Christ. They were daring enough to go back into Jerusalem and pray and tarry in that upper room in the face of being found out for 10 days. They were daring enough to swing open those doors after that sound of heaven came in like a mighty rushing wind and opened the doors and hit the streets and come out of their safe house daring enough to stand in the public square and proclaim as Peter did this is that that was spoken of by the prophet Joel they were daring enough to to preach the gospel knowing that they were unashamed of its power to save there they were daring enough to preach a new doctrine that would astonish their world to stare at the man laying lame at the gate beautiful and say look guy we don't have no silver we don't have no gold but such as we have they were confident now in what they possessed and they were willing and daring enough to speak the word of faith in public and say look on me look on me rise up and walk these men were now daring enough to preach in the face of persecution they were daring enough to be imprisoned and beaten and when they were beaten they had the ability to go back in to that safe house not to cry, not to dress their wounds, but to come back to a place of fervent prayer and a right perspective and say, Jesus, give us greater boldness because now we've got a hold of something and we're not letting it go again. Jesus, give us a boldness to go back out. And there they were preaching and teaching all over again. They were daring enough to sell all that some may be saved. Daring enough to turn and believe that they could turn their world upside down and they did it. And they were daring enough. These men that were once curled up in a corner, they were now willing to hazard their lives and not turn back knowing ahead of time their ultimate fate. You see this Peter 
who accepted the challenge was crucified upside down, unworthy at his own request to die like his Savior. Matthew was beheaded. Philip was tortured then crucified. Andrew was hung by the neck on an olive tree. James, the son of Zebedee, was thrust through with a sword. Thomas was then thrust through with pine spears and burned with hot plates and then burned alive at the stake. These men knew what awaited them and yet they were so daring that they would not go back to that place of safety. Isn't it amazing that the younger we are, even in our Christian walk, the younger we are, the more daring we tend to be. And I speak from a vantage point of only 21 years down the road that slowly over time as we come out and as we mature, we somehow, we, we, we are less daring than we once were. And yet the older we become, we have a propensity to be less adventurous and far more careful and calculating with the risks that we take, even understanding and knowing all that we have to lose in Christ. We look back and perhaps we say, as we overview our lives, there's too much to lose now. When we're young and as they say dumb, we don't realize perhaps what is at stake. We see young boys and young girls in my day coming up it was evil Knievel he would jump the Grand Canyon and so you would get a piece of old wood or a piece of plywood on a skateboard or roller skates or a bicycle and we think we're evil Knievel and we would make these ramps and we would fall flat on our face and we'd be bumped and scraped and bruised and get back up and try it again or a young child that would see a superhero and think I want to fly as well and wrap a bath sheet around his or her neck with a clothespin and jump off the roof or the back porch thinking that they too could fly. They don't realize what's at risk. They are willing to break a bone or two and have a scrape or two along the way. But you and I, we get a little bit older and we become a little bit more protective and living in the element and atmosphere that we are living in today, we understand there is much to guard against when we now turn to a place where we value safety and comfort more than what lies ahead. Maybe it's because we have a better understanding of the consequences. Or do we? Or maybe it's because now we're coming so face to face with our morbidity that it is paralyzing us in our very tracks. But I come to tell us today, I come this morning to let us remember the fact that we have come too far to turn back now. The cross and I want you to just let this soak in a moment or two. The cross is the ultimate display of daring. That the king of glory would disrobe and then descend and take on the fashion and the form of humanity. That the ancient of days and the sovereign one would turn around and make himself of no reputation. That he would come fashioned as a man through the womb of a woman and submit himself to the human process of life 
life and maturity. That he would disrobe and divest of all to become poor so that you and I could become rich. It is the ultimate display of daring, knowing his fate and knowing what awaited him at the end of his very brief life. But let me flip that coin for just a moment as well and say this, that the greatest, the cross is the greatest challenge ever presented to mankind. It is our greatest challenge. Jesus said, if you are willing to be daring, deny yourself and pick up this cross that displayed my willingness to be daring. Pick up that cross and follow me. It's the greatest challenge. And we know in our intellect that there will be teeming millions that will never accept the dare of the chance to have eternal life. That will never accept the dare to now take hold of what he died on the cross to give to his prized creation. And it's our greatest challenge as mankind. It's God's ultimate dare to us to say, will you and me demonstrate the courage based on the power and based on the work at the cross? How can we not based on his being? So daring is our example. It was William Danforth, who was the founder of the company Ralston Perina, that make dog food, cat food, all kinds of other products. But William Danforth, in 1931, he issued or authored a book entitled, I Dare You. It was the first edition. And in the book, this is what he said. He said, I dare you to think bigger, to act bigger, and to be bigger. I dare you to think creatively. I dare you to lead and inspire others. I dare you, he said, to build character. I dare you to share. And I promise you, Danforth promised a richer and far more exciting life if anyone would accept his dare. He said, I dare you who think life is humdrum to become involved. I dare you who are weak to become strong and you who are dull to become sparkling and you who are slaves to become kings. He said, I dare you. I dare you, whoever you are, to share with the others the fruits of your daring and catch a passion much like this church has for helping others and a richer life will come back on you. If that is the promise of Danforth, what is the promise and what is the hope of Jesus Christ for those that are willing to accept the dare? Paul said, now unto him that is able. Hallelujah. He alone is able. Government is not able. You and I, we're not able. Circumstances are not able. But unto him that is able, Paul said. He's able to do what, preacher? He's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all and above all that you and I can ask and that we could ever possibly imagine. More than we could ever possibly 
imagine. But watch what he says. He says this. And I used to think it was according to the faith that I had. But no, he said this. According to the power that worketh in you. You see, there's a power that is unrestricted. There's a power that is not afraid. There's a power that is more than able. There's a power that is boundless. There's a power like no other power. It is the source of all power. And that power, Talisha, that power is in you. That power is in me, John. That power is in us. But you see, here's the deal. We get locked down in our ability to speak. You think it's an accident that the enemy wants to silence the voice of the church? You see, when we get locked down in our ability to ask or in fear, paralyzed, to imagine, imagine, do we realize in this room today how many people have stopped imagining in the last year for fear and they're so stuck on imagining what's going to happen to this wonderful, comfortable American life and dream that we have fallen in love with when all the while we would have fallen in love with the Savior who was daring enough to put his love for you and I on display on a hill called Calvary. Come on, my fellow brothers and my fellow sisters, now unto him that is able, that same God that saved you and saved me, that same God that picked us up out of the miry clay, that same God that dared you and I to bring our addictions, to bring our brokenness, to bring our pain, that same God who dared us is daring us in this 20 year, this year of 2021. He is daring us. He is daring First Church. He is daring us to believe Him and to ask. And I come, I come this morning as a voice of challenge. I come as a herald to those who are hiding in their safe house. I come as a voice of challenge to the generations that have gone before and the generations that are coming behind. And I ask you this question in love and humility. What is God daring this church, what is God daring you and I to believe Him for in 20 and 21 in spite of what's going on back in Jerusalem? They went right back to the very people and the very places that they were hiding from. And they had a change of perspective. No, no, no. This isn't who we are. We already accepted the dare and we're not turning back. You see, we've got to be so careful today so careful that we don't think it's daring just simply to open up the doors of the church again and think, my gosh, Sister Hoffman, look how courageous we are. We opened up the doors again. Oh, it's, it's very risky, Pastor. It's, it's dangerous. It's, but you know what? We love Jesus, so we're going to do it. We have to be so careful. What is God daring you and I to believe him for in this year? You see, the father of the man with the dumb spirit, Jesus and the three come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and there's the disciples. They've been defeated in their faith. They're perplexed. They can't figure out why they couldn't cast this dumb spirit out. And there's the boy writhing around at the father's feet. He's foaming at the mouth, and Jesus walks up, and he said, What's, what, 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 what seems to be the problem here? 
which seems to be the issue. And the father explains his cause and pleads his case. And this is what he said. It's what so many are saying today that are filled with the Holy Ghost and have had such exhilarating experiences in Christ. He says to them, or to Jesus, he said, now Lord, you know, this is a, this is a bad deal. I mean, we've been at this a long time. It's not looking good for the future. It's not looking good. Look, even the church is unable to do some things today that, that we just, you know, we thought they could do it. We put some faith in them, but nope, they came up empty-handed. And they say, Jesus, almost with heads hung low, if you could do anything, if, if there's anything at all that you can possibly do, uh, just, just have some compassion and, and help. Just, just a little help would be good. So that we can continue to just struggle and, 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 and limp along and go on with life. You know, the boy's going to probably die. It's not looking very promising. And if you can just do anything at all. And we've got to be so careful that we don't find ourselves in that place. Well, you know, the day is going by. God, if you, if you can just get us through another, get us through another year. And oh, if God, you could just help us through, a, through another hurdle. When you look back over the history and the things that we have survived and the things the church has endured and come out victorious on the other side and Jesus takes the question and flips it back to the church. He flips it and he said, no, it's not a question of whether or not I love you or that I can help and that I'm the answer. But he said, here's this. He said, if you can believe, that's the real matter at hand if you can imagine then I can do exceeding abundantly above all that you can even ask or think me to do he said if you can believe then all things are possible and I stand here today in love and in the fear of God and I say first church can you believe that Jesus Christ is able to do all things exceeding abundantly beyond all that your pastor all that your leaders all that this church can ever believe him for I stand as you stand with me. I stand here today. And I dare, I dare those of you that have not been baptized. It's like God saying, I dare you to go ahead and be baptized today. I dare you if you don't have the Holy Ghost to come down to this altar full of faith, hands raised and let God fill you and let God thrill you. I dare those of us that are confused and those of us that have been paralyzed by fear. I dare you to let him give you peace and let him shift your perspective. I dare you today if you're broken to bring your broken pieces and give them to him. I dare you to keep believing for the importance possible to exhibit radical faith. I dare you to live with an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. I dare some of us here today, maybe the ladies that were at the conference, but the men weren't there. I dare you, sir, to let go of your past and your unforgiveness and your pain and your bitterness. I dare someone who is being tormented to go ahead 
and say you're sorry. I dare someone to pray big, bold prayers and say, God, in essence, not my will, but thine be done. I dare some around here to begin being faithful and begin living separated. I dare you. I dare those of you that are struggling with trust issues to trust again. Some of you that, are, that, have, that have been hurt to love again. I dare you. I dare the elders to keep dreaming big dreams, bold dreams. We can't do it without your dreams. I dare the young generation to get behind the vision of your pastor and to keep imagining for what God's going to do in your future. I don't know what the future holds, but I know whether in this life or that, that our future is bright and glorious. I dare you to go ahead and plant an Iraqi church. I dare you to go ahead and keep reaching the brokenhearted and those who have found themselves in unimaginable places. I dare you. I dare you to build. I dare you to pray. I dare you to dream. I told Draylon, I dare you to go ahead and go on tour and step out and let God. You see, even if we're older, I want to be like Caleb of old. You know what Caleb did at 85? He said, give me my mountain. Because in spite of his age, he still had the ability to dream and there because there was a promise from God. I refuse. I refuse to hide out in my safe house. I refuse to just coast through this life and get to the other side because Jesus Christ has been too good to me. I dare you. I dare you. I dare I dare someone to step out and let God show you what he's all about. I dare you to give your life Give your life to God today. I dare you. I dare you, First Church, to operate in a spirit of generosity. I dare you to sacrifice like you've never sacrificed so that you can have your own story to tell. I dare this church in 2021 when it makes no sense. I dare you to go ahead and step out and let God do what God's called you to do. As pastor comes, let us begin to worship God. There is no doubt Cause I have seen Your faithfulness My 